Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Uh, you know, I have, I've had a front row seat this summer for what I think is the greatest testing grounds of courage in our society. Greatest testing grounds of courage. Yes, the local swimming pool, right? Local swimming pool. You remember what courage it took. Uh, and I was thinking about this, you know, every, every summer, uh, bunches of little four and five-year-old would-be Michael Phelpses uh, put on their goggles and their caps, and they march to the swimming pool, and they stand at the edge of that pool, edge of the water, and they courageously take that plunge. And uh, I love watching this. I was reminded of when my kids were little. They're not so little anymore, but when they did swim lessons, we were still living in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know if people in L.A. are just more cruel than they are here in North Carolina, but the final exam in L.A., get this, the final exam in order to pass the swimming lesson was you had to jump off the diving board into the deep end of the pool. That was the final exam. And uh, the coach would be there. She was a certified lifeguard in the water. But, but each little child would make their way out to the edge of the diving board, and then they had to take the plunge. And I remember there was this one kid, because there's always one. And this kid, I just thought, there's no way he's going to do this, right? I mean, he's just, he's, all, he's crying, you know, his knee. He gets up out on the edge of that diving board, his knees are shaking. I thought, if he looks over at mom, right, if he catches, the whole thing's over. This is just done, because mom's going to come and rest, you know. But he doesn't look, and he just, you see this focus on his face. And then he strikes his best Superman pose, and then he just leans. <laughs> and what happens is the biggest belly, not even belly flop, like full body flop I've ever seen in my life, right? Like, like his kneecaps were red from flopping in the water, right? And I thought, oh no. And then he comes up out of the water. I'm just, I'm ready for tears. And he's just beaming, right? Why? Well, because he faced his fear and he took the plunge, right? And he passed. So because I'm a pastor, these kinds of moments, always I'm looking for preaching fodder, you know? So I go to my kids afterwards. This is what it means to be a pastor. And I pull my five-year-old aside. I say, hey, and I try to give them the words. I said, did it take a lot of courage to jump off the diving board in the deep end? And my son looks at me and goes like, well, yeah, dad, but they also give you a lollipop. <laughs> so whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get your kid in the pool this summer, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying your summer moments. You know, the truth about swimming pools, truth about learning to swim, really the truth about all of those many, many water's edge moments that we face in life, the truth about all of them is they all take one thing. They all take courage, don't they? They all take courage. In fact, that's what I want to talk with you about today. And I want to just give you the bottom line up front, just in case you need to peace out or like go beat the line at Bojangles or in case you nod off. This is the bottom line up front. Here's, here's what I want to give you this morning. What I want to suggest is that a single act of courage, one act of courage, a single act of courage is often the catalyst for something extraordinary. A single act of courage, one act of courage can often be the beginning, the catalyst of something extraordinary. It's Rosa Parks who one day got on the bus and decided, you know what, today, this day, I, I'm deciding I am not going to give up my seat. And, and a catalyst for, for the civil rights movement just, just exploded. Or, or, or think about those, those folks who gathered around one day and they, they said, you know what, today is the day to make a break. And they made a decision together, and they sat down, and they drafted a declaration, a declaration of independence that became a catalyst for the birth of a nation. 
Or think about that German monk. Remember that guy named Martin Luther? And he, he wrote out his 95 critiques, his 95 theses. And he took those and a nail and a hammer and he nailed it to the Wittenberg church door. And with that single act of courage, a revolution in the church was born. You see, the truth is that a single act of courage is often the catalyst for something extraordinary. Now, none of these folks, not one of them, was certain about what was going to happen, were they? What would follow their single act of courage? If they had known what the outcome was going to be before they took it, that would not have taken courage. It all, all it would have taken is common sense. But they, never, but they did not know what was going to happen, and we never know. But here's what I can promise you this morning. Here's what I believe is true about your life and mine. In your life, in your business, in your family, in your school, in your marriage, at some point you will find yourself standing at the water's edge. And you will be called, you will be prompted, you will be urged to step out. And the question is, what will you do then? How will you respond? We're in a series called, the, called Superlatives. Lee, I love that introduction. It's all about some of the great heroes of faith from the Old Testament, women and men who courageously stepped out and followed God when he called upon them to do so. And today I want to look at what I think is perhaps one of the most famous water's edge moments, one of the most famous water's edge stories in all of the Bible. It's a story of a guy named Joshua. Uh, and Joshua, actually, if you, some of you will know this story. If you don't, uh, t- we're going we're gonna to hear today. But Joshua was um, so famous for his courageous step that he actually gets a whole book of the Bible named after him, right? What do you have to do to get a book of the Bible named after you? Well, Joshua did that, and his story uh, begins in Egypt. Now, before I read it to you, uh, what was happening in Egypt? Uh, well, God's people were enslaved there. And you'll remember a leader named Moses. Uh, God called him to step out and lead his people through the wilderness, up to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had promised hundreds of years before to their forefather, Abraham. That's the land on this map, everything west of the Jordan River. That was the land that would one day become uh, the nation of Israel. Now, Moses led the people up to the southern border, and the only problem was when they looked across that border, when they looked in the land, they were overcome with fear, and they refused to take the next step. So they turned back, and wandered for the next 40 years. They went on a 40-year camping trip in the wilderness. And you thought your summer vacation was long, right? 40 years camping in the wilderness. Then eventually, fast forward those 40 years, God leads his people with Joseph at the helm right back up to the edge of that promised land. They're literally standing at the water's edge of the Jordan River looking across in the land that God had promised. And that is where our story picks up. Let me read this to you. This comes from Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. You can follow along on the screens if you like. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, that means he didn't have any parents. I'm sorry. I just figured y'all, at least y'all are awake. You know, the first service is like, oh my word. I think they thought about getting up and walking out after that. Here we go. Uh, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west, no one will be able to stand up against you. 
all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then listen to these words he leaves with Joshua. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Well, what I want to do here is just look at uh, this morning, a couple things that I want you to notice in this passage. And the first one is this. I just love how direct God is in this story. Did you catch it? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's like right out the gate. Listen, Joshua, Moses is dead, okay? And you need to get in the game. The time is now. And I love this picture. This is the picture I think of God as like the ultimate basketball coach, right? It's the fourth quarter. The star player, Steph Moses Curry, has gone to the locker room with an injury. Or I guess it would be Durant, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, whoever was yeah, So he's gone, to, and the coach comes, and Joshua's on the bench. He's never started. He's never played. He looks at Joshua and says, hey, listen, the time is now. I need you in the game. We're getting the ball to you. The promised land is on the line. Don't blow it, right? And this is God. He's just coming with this stern direct invitation. And the question is, how will Joshua respond? Will, will he step up or will he let fear keep him out of the game? Can you imagine how Joshua must have felt? I think sometimes we read these Bible stories and we forget that these were people with emotions and fears and hopes just like us. I think Joshua was terrified. The guy must have been shaking in his Air Jordans. I mean, why else would God have to say two, later three times, Joshua, remember, remember, strong and courageous, strong and courageous, strong. In fact, one day people are going to sing little songs in Sunday school, strong and courageous, strong, right? Now, why was he so fearful? Well, Moses had been the greatest leader Israel had ever seen. He stood up to Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He had a stick that could turn into a snake. I mean, come on. Can Joshua do So Joshua, you know, I imagine he's thinking, man, I'm no Moses, God. You've got the wrong guy. But look at how God responds to him in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, Joshua, for you are the one. Joshua, there is nobody else. We're putting the ball in your hands for the three-point shot. Joshua, it's all on you. And there's an urgency here. There's an urgency in God's voice. The time is now. It's time for you to step up, Joshua. And I was thinking about this moment, and, and I don't know if this is true for you. Let me just talk about myself for a moment. I was thinking about all the moments in my life where I have let fear keep me from something good. Fear of what people might think. Fear of change, fear of failure, fear of what others might say, fear of what I do if I get the job, right? Fear of what happens if I ask her out, fear of what do I do now that she said yes, right? All kinds of fears that have kept me out of the game, which is what brings me to the second thing I want us to notice here, because there's a clever little wordplay that God is doing with Joshua in the original language in Hebrew. Notice what God says to him, Notice the promise. He says, Joshua, I promise you, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you, watch this, set foot, wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. Now, what's going on here? Well, you see, there's something rather physical about courage. 
That's why every culture, every language wants to locate courage somewhere in our bodies. Right? Well, think about English language. Right? Where, where in the English language do we locate courage? What, what part of the body? Any guesses? Heart, right? Heart. We, we think of courage as in the heart. In fact, the word cur, where we get courage, the word cur in Latin means, means heart. We, we associate it with heart. But, but the Hebrews were, were a little smarter than that. The, the, they located courage in the feet. In fact, the word that's used here, be strong and courageous, is the Hebrew word amatz, which literally translates as to be strong-footed, to be strong in the feet. Interesting. For the Old Testament authors, courage wasn't so much about a feeling as it was about a footing. Now, fear, by contrast, fear in the Hebrew language means literally to be weak in the knees, right? That's what it means to be afraid. And we kind of get this. We, we kind of intuitively, I mean, imagine that moment, that first time you jumped off a diving board. What happened to your knees, right? Well, they were shaking, right? In fact, your whole body was shaking. Or, or maybe that moment in high school, you remember the high school dance? And, and you're on one side of the gym, and, and they're playing the last song, and you know it's the last song because it's Ed Sheeran. Or, or if you're like me, you went to dances in the 80s. What was the last song of every school dance you ever went to? Stairway to Heaven. Y'all remember this? Stairway to Heaven. Last song of every single dance of my entire childhood. And, and so here's that moment. There's that, there's that beautiful girl across the room, and you've been waiting all night to ask her to dance. And now Stairway to Heaven comes on, and you know this is your last chance. And what do you do, right? Your, your, your knees are shaking, your palms are sweating, and you're like, either I'm going to step or I'm not, right? We kind of get this. You see, for Joshua and God's people standing at the edge of the Jordan, this was not a battle of the mind, nor was it a battle of the heart. It was a battle of the ankles. And who was going to win, the knees or the feet? Which brings me to the third thing I want you to see in this story. The third thing is Joshua's diving board moment. Two chapters later, chapter 3, Joshua and the gang come to the edge of the Jordan River. And they're not just facing a physical problem, they're facing a fear problem. You see, it was flood season for the Jordan, which means the river was at its highest, its fastest, its most ragingness. There were no bridges, no ferries, no life rafts. Remember, this is the generation that grew up in the wilderness, so they never learned to play sharks and minnows. They did not know how to swim, which makes God's command here kind of peculiar. He doesn't say, go over the water. He doesn't say navigate around it. He doesn't say wait until flood season has ended. He says, I want you to walk through the river. In other words, Joshua, I want you to step right out into your fear. Look at these verses with me from chapter 3. God gives this invitation to Joshua, and Joshua relays it to the Israelites. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth, set foot. Oh, interesting, there's that feet again. As soon as the priest set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Fascinating. 
In other words, God says, Joshua, I want you and, and the priests and the Israelites to start walking towards the river. And I, I know it sounds crazy, but here's what I want you to do. When you get to the water, I want you to step into the water. And the minute the soles of your foot touches the water, I'm going to cause the river to stop. And you and all the people are going to cross on dry ground. I was thinking about this, and it kind of reminded me of another children's thing, a children's song known as Going on a Bear Hunt. Do you all remember this bear hunt song? You remember this? Y'all want to sing along? Come on, come on, bear hunt this morning. Bear hunt with me, come on. You remember this, right? And going on a bear hunt. I almost messed that up. I'm not afraid, right? Yeah, okay. So here's, here's, here's how I imagine, imagine this one going, right? No, well, actually, yeah. Here, here's how I imagine this one. Right? It'd be like this. Going to the promised land. Mighty deep river. Didn't bring my floaties. What am I to do, Right? Okay, now here's the thing. You remember the highlight of the bear hunt song, right? What's the highlight of the bear hunt? You come to some obstacle, and there's what you say. You say, "Uh uh-oh, can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go, gotta go. See, you guys do know this song, yeah. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. They've come to the Jordan River, and there's no way to go over their fear. There's no way to go under it. There's no way to go around it. God says, you are going to have to walk right through your fear. And it's amazing to see what happens next. Look with me at verse 15. Now, the Jordan was at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest, unbelievable, as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing, and the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing. You see, all Joshua had, this is, all he had was a promise. All he had was this invitation from God. But to realize that promise, he had to take a step. He had to put his feet in the water. He had to act with courage. And with that one step, with that single act of courage, Joshua changed Israel's story forever. Forever. Why? Because a single act of courage is often the catalyst for something extraordinary. Now, did Joshua know all that hung in the balance that day? I mean, did he realize the full consequences of this decision? No, how how could he, right? Did he have any idea that once he stepped in that water, that would set in motion a series of events? They would pull out the marching band. They'd go to this Jericho town. They'd play the marching band around seven times. They'd go, and then kings would come. And then they established tribes, and then a nation. And there, there's a little village that didn't exist yet, but it would exist someday called Bethlehem. And then one day in that little village, a baby would be born, and that baby would grow up, and it would go to Jerusalem, and he would become the king of the universe as he laid down his life to save the entire world. Did Joshua know that all of that hung in the balance? No, he didn't, and neither do we. We never know what hangs in the balance of the decision when we stand at the water's edge. And today, some of you are facing a water's edge moment right now. And you will never know the full significance of the decision you make, 
But here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. And here's what I think I know about you today. You, my friend, do not want to look back on your life and wonder what God might have done if you had taken that step and trusted and obeyed. And so, with our last few minutes, I want to look at four critical, courageous decisions that I think every last one of us faces at some point in our life. Four decisions. These will be quick. Four steps of courage that you and I will all be faced with at some point. So, number one, here's here's the first step I think all of us have faced at some point. All of us at some point will have to take the step, the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. This was my story, actually, when I was in seminary. I was in grad school uh, to become a pastor, and uh, my friend Tom and I were interns, unpaid interns, at this mega church that we attended. And um, we had started this new ministry, working with college students and young adults, and things were going really well. And uh, the leadership of the church had come to us and said, hey, this is amazing. We, we want to bring both of you on full time. And this was great news to me because I was about to graduate. I had kids at home. I needed income. I, you know, so I was really excited about this. And we entered into about three months worth of conversations. And then at the very, very last moment, I'll never forget this, very last moment, we sat down with the leadership and they said, Aaron, hey, listen, uh, we think you're great, but we're just going to hire Tom and uh, thanks, but no thanks, and nobody had done anything wrong, but, but to be honest, like, I felt a little bit misled, right? Or at least led on. And, uh, and it triggered all of my insecurities. Did, did, you know, do they not value me? Like, am I not good at this? God, God did I not hear you? Like, what do I do? And uh, to make matters a little more complicated, I actually had on the table a full-time offer at another church about 15 miles down the road. But this was the church where I'd been attending and involved for years, and and so my friend Tom said, Aaron, I, you know, I'll totally get it if you decide you want to go elsewhere. I mean, that's probably what I would do. You know, it seems. I said, well, listen, I, I need to go home tonight and pray. And so I went home that night. I had one night to kind of make this decision. And, uh, and I talked to Mayor Robin and we prayed. And I remember opening the scriptures. And in my prayer, I remember reading this story from Jesus. And at one point in the story, I came to these words. And it was like they, they just leapt off the page at me. It was like God was saying this very thing. And he said, Aaron... Uh, I want you to choose the last seat at the table and wait for the host to raise you to a seat of honor. And if you're not familiar with that, that just comes from a Jesus story that he tells in the Gospels. And I remember thinking, you know what? This is the last thing in the world I want to do. What I really want to do is peace out, take my ball and go home and go get that paid gig down the road, right? But in my heart, I could not deny. I knew, I knew that the Lord was asking me to stay even though it would have been easier to go. Now, sometimes I think when things get tough, when conflict arises in our jobs or in our relationships, in our marriage, oftentimes we choose to leave, not because it's the wisest thing, not because it's the best thing, but simply because it's the easiest thing. We think, I'll just go find a new friend circle, a new spouse, a new church, a new whatever, because we lack the courage to stay and work things out. Now, listen, of course, if someone is in an abusive situation, I am, I am, you need to get out of that. I am not saying that at all. But oftentimes, in other situations, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason we're leaving is because we lack the courage to forgive, to reconcile, or to lay aside our own pride. And my friends, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to stay. So the first thing is this. Sometimes we need the courage to stay 
when it would be easier to go. But the second one is kind of like it, though a little bit opposite. Sometimes we need the courage to go when it would be easier to stay. How many of y'all saw that one coming? Did you a couple see it? Okay, you guys are smart. You're smart. You know, one of the great challenges, I think, in ex- to experiencing God in our lives, and, and this is important if you're, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian or if you ever decide to become a Christian, this is really important to know. I think one of the greatest challenges in our context today is our deep commitment to comfort. We, we've, we love, com- we value comfort above most anything else in our lives. I was thinking, it's, it's not enough that we have air conditioning in our car, right? Some of y'all have these cars now. You have individual climate zones for every person in the vehicle, right? How many of y'all have individual climate zones? Come on, own it. Okay, yeah. Those are swanky cars, man. That's for y'all. All right, how about this? Some of y'all, you have that version in your, in your mattress. It's not enough to have Tempur-Pedic. You now have sleep numbers. You know this thing? Each of you can have individual hardnesses in your bed, right? We love our comfort. And these things are great. If you have air conditioning, I'm just glad the air conditioning works in my 99 Land Cruiser. I'm just, I'll, I'll take anything at this point. These are not bad things, but spiritually, spiritually, we can be so committed to spiritual comfort that we miss out on what God is calling us to. Because there will come a point in your life when God will ask you to step out of your spiritual comfort zone. And it might be stepping into a new opportunity or maybe risking faith conversation with a friend or family member. Maybe it's signing up for uh, one of our Haiti or Bahamas uh, Missio Day teams. I don't know what it'll be for you. It might be anything. But I do know that at some point in your life, in some point in the life of every believer, God will call you to cross that river and risk seeing what he might do in your life. Which brings me to the third thing. The third thing is this. The courage to get help when it would be easier to pretend. The courage to get help when it would be easier to pretend. Now, this one, in my opinion... Uh, I believe, is every man's story. I think it's probably every human story, but I know it's definitely every man's story. Because for men especially, but for human beings together, secrets are very, very dangerous. If you live with a secret in your life, you walk with, you live with a limp. Your business walks with a limp. Your marriage walks with a limp. Your family walks with a limp. You are compensating, and the people who know you best know that there is something wrong. And they've been trying to get you to pay attention to it for a long time, but you haven't wanted to listen. And eventually, eventually, play that movie for it, eventually that secret will sabotage your work, your family, your marriage, as it does every time. It's much easier to try to keep secrets than it is to live with transparency. But here's, here's what you should know about this one. Here's what you should really fear. You should fear the consequences of concealment more than the consequences of confession. And believe me, we all fear the consequences of confession. None of us wants to be exposed. But this may be the most significant act of courage you ever engage with in your life. When you finally say to a trusted friend or a pastor or a counselor, I can't handle this anymore I need help. But Aaron, I feel so weak, and man, I don't want to... Eh. But here's, here's what we know, right? We know that it is only in your weakness that his strength is made perfect. His strength is only available when we share our weakness with someone and say, I need help. And for somebody here today, this might just be your day. This might be your moment to march down to that river, put your foot in the water, and say to someone, 
help. I need help. Now, if you do this, if you take God up on this, here's what I believe you'll find. I think you will find a path to freedom because our God is gracious and kind. Because when we take this step of humility, it is always liberating. Humility is an invitation for God to do something extraordinary in our life. Pride shuts the door on God and on people, but when we confess, when we ask for help, we find that it becomes the path to freedom. Which brings me to the fourth and final step of courage, and that is this, the courage to lead when it would be easier to watch. I was thinking about this one a lot this week. Man, y'all can come on up. Um, I don't know exactly in history when this happened, but at some point in in the history of the church, church ceased to be a participation sport and it became a spectator sport, right? It became the, the thing that was done by a few while the majority watched. And the challenge with this is this is never what God intended it to be. And for some of us here, the only thing holding us back from stepping out and leading is, is that our buckets have actually become too full. They, they can't, God can't actually pour any more into our bucket until we start pouring out our bucket for the sake of of others. Many of you here have listened to hundreds, if not thousands of sermons and sat through multiple Bible studies. You've read books, you've gone on retreats, you've attended conferences, and God is just waiting for you to step out and risk giving yourself for the sake of others. And I don't know what that'll look like for you. I really don't. May, I mean, maybe it's just stepping up and, and, and leading some children in Kitropolis, or, or maybe it's stepping out and gathering some friends or from church or neighborhood and just starting a community group, or maybe it's something at work or in your neighborhood I haven't even named. But whatever it is, God is waiting for you to take that step to pour yourself out so that he can begin pouring into you again. And what if? What if that single act of courage might just be the catalyst for something extraordinary in your life? Which brings me to my final question. My final question. A single act of courage can often be the catalyst for something extraordinary. So what kind of story do you want your life to tell? Let's pray.